good evening. You are listening to the Yena podcast. Today is Tuesday, the 21st of February. Um, and joining me this evening, my name is Craig, of course. Joining me this evening, uh, we have the usual crew of uh, Brahman. Kiora. And Mark. Hey. And uh, joining us again are our semi-regular guests or committee members, whichever they prefer to be known as. We've got uh, Daniel Ryan. Hey, hey. And we've got Katrina. Ta-da. Uh, yeah, so what the heck is going on? We've got like a full half the committee on this podcast now for this episode. Is this like a committee special? Are we going to have to get the other half on the next time round or what? Slightly fair. Good luck with that. We, we can Good get Brad to play live. Uh, yes, that we know at least one listener who loves our live skeptical music and would love to get more of it. So, <laughs> Richard, well, it, it, it'll be Richard. for you in two weeks. <laughs> if you consider that uh, the brand does the intro and outro, then I guess we've got six members of the committee on the podcast. Mm. Oh, yeah. Technically, thank you, Brad, for the music. Um, I forgot to mention a while ago, but Brad really didn't like it when I joked about how we should have got an AI to write our intro music, given that he put effort in to write it. So, Brad, I'm really sorry. I didn't mean it. <laughs> and I'll stop digging the hole now. Well, I've yet to hear an AI that writes music as well as uh, as, as a human or, or even Brad. I played with one a few weeks ago, and admittedly, I was using the experimental setting, it was not fun to listen to. It it was a little bit all over the place. But I think they can do well if they go for safe and boring. I think as soon as you yeah. try and get something a little bit more interesting, it just goes weird. Well, it's difficult to account for musical tastes. What, what some people like, others hate, and so on. <laughs> uh, anyway. That's well, just, everybody else that's... is wrong, and my music is the right music. <laughs> sure, right. <laughs> So anyway, uh, just to be a little bit more serious, I think we just have to acknowledge that uh, we uh, have recently had uh, Cyclone Gabriel that uh, ripped through the country and caused havoc in multiple places. There are a lot of people who are uh, out of housing and there are so far confirmed 11 people dead. Um, and there are still down in Hawke's Bay, which is where, which has really been the, the worst of it. There are still around about 1,100 people uh, unaccounted for. Um, and I'm sure it seems unlikely that there are 1,100 people who are dead. But nevertheless, there's still a lot of people that uh, uh, could potentially uh, be lost to the cyclone. So, yeah, it was pretty serious. Yeah, I, th I think a part of that is that, um, you know, obviously a lot of people live quite rurally out there. And um, I know, like from work and issues we've had at work, that there was um, all the fiber optic cables that connect to that part of the country run under the bridges. And when the bridges went down, the cables were broken in multiple places. And actually, I've just heard from a friend a couple of hours ago, um, Kim, she's a member of the um, Rationalists and Humanists, and she lives in Wairoa. And and um, I messaged her a few days ago to see how she's going. She just messaged back a couple of hours ago. They've finally reconnected in Wairoa to the network. So she's mm. back up with her mobile phone. Sounds like her house is uh, full of mud. Um, her garden has been absolutely flattened and she's going to have to start again. She says she watched cows and sheep floating past her down the river um, wow. because there's a river out the back of her house. So, um, yeah, a lot of flooding everywhere. But um Apparently, the army's out there already basically helping to dig up driveways and try and get people back into their homes as soon as possible. 
Yeah, I, th- I think the um, the eleven hundred people not being able to contact it. Hopefully, the majority of those are because uh, the cell cell phone service has been down, um, and so people can't actually get messages through. Um, but uh, that that is improving. Um, yeah, I know there's uh, certainly a lot of lot of bridges out in Hawkes Bay. Um, my my brother, who's a helicopter pilot, was uh, f- flying around and uh, sent me some footage of uh, one of the the bridges uh, in Pukitapu that uh, has now disappeared, where we used to drive across and go uh, jumping into the river uh, when we were kids. And um, yeah, that bridge is no longer. So there's uh, yeah, there's a ton of ton of uh, infrastructure to be rebuilt, which is um, going to cost the country a lot of money. I think it's also a good time to just remind people that, you know, there can be, quite, you know, everyone wants to help in terms of the rebuild and help family and other organizations. Um, but it's always a time to be wary that lots of scams going around. People, you know, who claim that they know that they're going to do a trip up to up north to bring up clothes or food. Um, Civil Defense is recommending that if you, you know, the best thing to donate is actually money. Um, organizations who are on the ground, they know what people need um, and sometimes they can work together with big corporations like the warehouse and get a lot of food and clothing and furniture, you know, free or at severely discounted prices. And also it keeps a lot of looky-loos off the road, you know, off these dangerous roads. Um, mm-hmm. So definitely follow your, you know, the Hawks Bay Civil Defense and um, follow their instructions. So Bromman, when you were talking about scams, did you have anybody in particular in mind? Sandra <coughs> Baker. Um, or... <laughs> Well, or are you just I, talking I, generically? I, I saw a very interesting Instagram um, brought up by um, the guy who has the account, Brown Scouse. He's done some really great articles about the Wright Family Foundation. And he brought up an interesting question where with the stuff fundraising campaign. And he said, you know, if you fund, if you donate your money to the Red Cross, you will get, you know, your 33 percent um tax, you know, 33% on your tax return, you do the stuff because stuff is not a charity, you won't get that 33% tax return. So while stuff is not necessarily a scam, there are people who are just sort of acting really, if not irrationally, then rashly in, you know, in their efforts to help. And you want your money, you want your money to do some good things with the right people. So yeah, as I say, go to your civil defense and see what organizations and charities that they would like you to help Mm. I guess at the end of the day, though, if you are donating to a charity and getting that money back as a as a tax refund, mm-hmm. um, what you're essentially doing is, I suppose, taking that money off the government that <laughs> would have been used to um, <laughs> to pay the bills of us of all this cleanup. And I guess the most ethical people would then go and take that tax refund amount and, and again give it to um, a charity. Um, but what's but stuff yes, going to do I, with I take it? your point. What's stuff going to do with it? <laughs> well, I mean, I'm sh- I'm sure they may well have some fancy uh, scheme where all the money that's coming in, they're, they're claiming uh, expenses and being able to do some sort of tax write off on it. But who mm-hmm. knows? Yeah, but I mean, I'm sure their heart's in the right place. But I certainly yeah, take your point that it is better to donate to a registered charity and um, a, an organisation that knows what they're doing. Uh, which certainly the Red Cross does, as opposed to the little pop-up people who want to set up uh, fundraising schemes and deliver water to uh, Wairo. Um I think you mentioned one of them, Mark. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I did. It, it seems like um, what 
what a certain young conspiracy minded woman is saying on social media about how amazing she is and how she's helping. And the reality are quite far apart from each other. Right. I've only just sort of glanced at it, really. I mean, it does seem that she is delivering some sort of um, help. But whether it's the right sort of help, whether all the money that people have given is being used to fund that or not, it's doubtful. <laughs> so if anybody's confused, Chantal Waker was um, put out a call for donations where she used um, a bottling, a water bottling plant that she had some connection with, I believe it perhaps was through a church and claiming that they were going to be um, delivering water via truck and then helicopter up to wide or where it was needed. Um, and, of course, the Defence Force and the Navy were, were sort of handling all that sort of stuff already. So it seems like maybe she was doing some good, but maybe she's just trying to um, whitewash her reputation after all the damage she did to it at the uh, Parliament protest. Whitewash, that, that, that's quite a term for Chantal Baker. Um, I'm pretty <laughs> sure I've heard her complaining about how white people aren't aren't getting treated fairly before. <laughs> Right. Uh, anyway, we um, we hope that uh, things things get better for the people that are affected, and um, and that uh, there aren't too many more people whose lives have uh, been lost. So, speaking of Christians, I have been recently following a guy by the name of Lincoln Russ, and uh, Lincoln Russ is a young Christian fundamentalist who's been popping up all over social media. Um, I'm not sure exactly how old he is, but he's, I would say he's somewhere mid-20s. Um, so he has been doing a tour around the country of what he calls Church on the Streets. Uh, he is He is spouting all sorts of really nasty fundamentalist Christian stuff, um, thing, things that are sort of extreme on um, misogyny and uh, homophobia and transphobia. Um, he's uh, very much anti-abortion. Um, he's wanting there to be uh, the death penalty for anybody who has an abortion and for, for the doctors who assist. Um, so he he's tried to do this tour of New Zealand. He's based in Christchurch. And he started off in the South Island. He basically would show up in a town and then start yelling his um, fundamentalist Bible-based preaching uh, via a, a very obnoxious uh, sound system in the streets. Um, and people kind of took exception to this, and so there was uh, quite a bit of pushback. Um, and one of the one of the things that happened when he was down in Wanaka, um, there was a woman who showed up who had the birds aren't real conspiracy um, sign, and she was basically uh, it was instrumental in chasing him out of town, which I thought was really really cool. Nice, yes. And somewhat connected with conspiracy uh, knowledge, I guess, knowing about birds aren't real. Yes, yes. So I, she was uh, she was dressed up in a wig and in sunglasses and uh, and probably to just sort of disguise her uh, appearance so that nobody could figure out who she was. But it would be really interesting to to know. So uh, do you anyway, think maybe so she was Byron Clark, given that you know Byron's probably had enough of being <laughs> harassed? <laughs> uh, I don't think so. I don't. No. I didn't see any resemblance. Uh, 
No. Uh, right. diff- just needed to make sure. Not. Did anyone take the chance to talk to Lincoln? Like, you know, okay, you in an abortion, you know, okay, so the fetus is lost. And then you're requesting a death penalty for the doctors and the health staff and the mother. So yeah, it's like, so- <laughs> you're saving no <laughs> lives. You, you know, it's a net, it's a net negative. <laughs> well, it, well, he thinks that's a, an extreme moral um, crime that's been committed and it deserves punishment. So uh, he's trying to do this tour of the country. He was claiming that he's going to do 66 towns and or 66 towns and cities around New Zealand. Uh, any population centre that had more than 20,000 people. 66. And, I mean, that's like, you know, 66.6. Like it's close to 666. Was that a. <laughs> wow. Yes, that, that is interesting, actually. <laughs> So he he was trying to fundraise. He was uh, the the latest thing that I saw from him before I met him was that he was trying to get people to step out in faith and give a thousand dollars each. And, That's a lot and, of stepping out in faith. <laughs> that is a lot of stepping out in faith. <laughs> so he was uh, complaining about how much it was costing him to fly around the country. So he flew up to he flew up to Auckland, and from what I hear, he managed to get donations from people to fly himself. And two women that he is preaching with up to Auckland, but only he turned up. I, I don't get this. That the whole you know trying to do it cheaply and and having people give him money. Surely, if it was cheap, he'd start at the top of the North Island and work his way down, like the um, Kelvin Alp and Hannah Spira did last year in their crappy little bus. I mean, flying to Auckland and then back to Christchurch and then going to Wellington and back to Christchurch. If every one of the 66 cities is a separate flight there and back, that's not doing it cost effectively. No, no. He he seems to be very sporadic. Um, And yeah, you'd think he would uh, he would uh, figure out the the traveling salesman problem and uh, figure out the most (laughs) optimal route to uh, Make his way around the country. Well, if he was a proper preacher or pastor, you know, worth his salt, he'd be getting love offerings. That's why you well, do yourself into those evangelical and mega churches. You know, you go on. and talk, and they all collect this, all collect cash or food. He's, he's traveling. Food. He's traveling with two women. He's getting a love offering somewhere along the line. Uh. <laughs> well, no, but he 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 is preaching that um, sex before marriage should be illegal. So unless he's being hypocritical, and I know he's certainly he's certainly not married. Now he he grew up, according to um, what's been said, he grew up going to Destiny Church. He uh, attended Destiny Church with his parents from the age of five until he was eighteen. Now, to me, uh, if you're exposed from the age of five to the teaching of Destiny Church, you're going to be fairly messed up in the head. I think. And it seems to me that he wants to be a, a sort of a Brian Tamaki um, wannabe. He's trying to become famous. Um, he's, I think, trying to put out um, extreme points of view. Essentially, he's trolling on the streets in order to try and get a reaction out of people. So he flew up to uh, to Auckland, and I decided to go into the city to observe him. Now, on Twitter, um, he'd been saying that um, he was going to have big crowds in Auckland, that he had 15 Samoan security guards who were going to be protecting him against uh, the hordes of uh, of critics that were going to turn out and heckle him. Well, I showed up. He was meant to turn up outside the farmer's building, uh, the farmer's shop in Queen Street at 9 p.m. He never showed. 
And uh, about 40 minutes later, it, it turns out that I, I looked on his social media and he'd gone live and he was actually down at Britomart Square preaching. So I sort of hurried down the, the road because I wanted to, to catch this. I'd gone into, into the city and specifically to, to hear him speak and see what it was all about. And essentially, I was sort of about the only person there, apart from a group of um, supporters from a uh, a South Auckland church. He was basically sort of wandering around the square with his microphone, screaming out his extreme preaching uh, to an audience of nobody. <laughs> so he spotted me with my camera because I had my my big camera out, and he he came over to me, and I actually appeared on his uh, Facebook Live. Uh, he asked if I was from the media, uh, and I said, "Well, not really. I'm a very very niche media." And he, I think he was kind of disappointed. Really, he um, wanted he wanted there to be media there. He said, "Are you from News Talk ZB, or are you from News Hub?" And <laughs> so, he, he, I think he really is trying to become famous for for preaching, get a get a following, have people give him money purely because he's a prominent a prominent person in in Christianity, but. Yeah, some of the stuff he's is doing is pretty awful. Now, so after after he'd finished preaching, which only lasted for about fifteen minutes, he came over and he had a, I had a chat with him for about ten minutes, and um, so I asked him a few questions, which is where he told me that uh, he thinks that um, abortion should be uh, punishable by death, and that, that he's absolutely certain that that God exists. Um, he thinks that uh, at some point in the future. Uh, New Zealand will um, be governed by an extreme right-wing uh, government that will put all these uh, Christian fundamental uh, teachings into practice. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we, we'd be better be careful of that. So I also asked him if he had a job, and he, he told me that he did. He said, oh, yes, he's got a job, but he likes to keep it quiet. But other people have told me that, no, he doesn't have a job. And the interesting thing is that... There are videos of him online where he is telling people about how he essentially does adult sex chat work, where he pretends to be a woman in order to earn money for supporting himself. Now, for the record, there's absolutely nothing wrong with um, people working phone lines and um, doing that sort of work. But it seems to me fairly hypocritical for a Christian preacher to be doing that sort of thing and uh, essentially scamming people. Um, so he, there, there is this video where he's talking about how he, he pretends to be a woman. He has these Indian men call him up and they want to um, have their fantasy uh talk in order to get themselves off and uh then he he basically uh doesn't make that happen he talks about all sorts of other stuff and uh basically <laughs> tell me he's, tell me he doesn't very, preach to them it, it sounds very racist as well like you know to, yeah. you know you don't need to say that they're indian men you just say i get callers yeah. and they want yeah. this you know yeah. Ooh, very very yeah. you know that sort of emphasis is you know very gross yeah so yeah no he's he seems to be a nasty creature 
he's all over social media. He's got TikTok, he's got Facebook, he's got Twitter. He's he's just saying provocative things in order to get noticed and get followers, I think. Okay. So the um, impression you get is he's just clawing for fame any old way he can. The more controversial, the more likely someone's going to pay attention and there's no such thing as bad publicity. No, no exactly. I, I think he just wants to be like Brian Tamaki. They have the lifestyle of being this preacher who can basically just swan around and, and talk about the Bible and, and not actually have to do any work. I think Brian Tamaki, for all his flaws, has put in a lot of work over a lot of years to have the millions and millions of dollars he has now. It didn't just happen to him one day. No, sure. Um, and I think perhaps the the idea of the the prosperity gospel that, that Brian Tamaki uh, tends to preach has rubbed off on, on Lincoln Russ. Um, and he's because when he's asking for those thousand dollar donations, he's saying that that's an investment and that that money will come back to you mm. on the basis of you you've giving that sort of money. <laughs> yeah, when <laughs> I went like to a destiny, when I went to a destiny church um, Sunday service in Wellington, part of that service was prosperity gospel, and it was tenfold was the promise: the money you give, God will give you back tenfold. And just mm. hearing it, seeing everybody in the audience who you know is trying to they're trying to give as much money as they can and knowing they're not going to see any of it back. It's just so sad to watch. Mm. Now, one final thing on the um, on the financial side of things. What I have heard is that he has a, uh, a bank account with Kiwi Bank and they have now essentially shut down his account and they're investigating him for fraud because of um, the money that was coming into it. Um, so I think if you, if you get to that point where your bank is intervening, there's something pretty serious going on. Maybe if he is unemployed and he's gone from like benefit to suddenly thousand dollar donations from random people, I, I could understand that looking suspicious. And there might be something that automatically gets triggered around anti-money laundering, where it might mm. be just like a process that no human even touched. So it's it's really going to be interesting to see whether he just fizzles out, um, or whether he is he is a force uh, for the long term. Um, I certainly hope not, because uh, the sort of stuff he's saying is uh, pretty nasty stuff. And, well, has uh, he ever more than fizzled? I, I think we know about him because obviously, in you know, skeptical groups online and the the places we hang out, people are mentioning him. But has he has he made mainstream media yet? Has he got that far? I'm not sure about mainstream media, but he certainly seems to be showing up at churches and I guess he's sort of edging into that space where he's being treated by like a celebrity, like this is this is the guy who's going around the country preaching and saying all these things that we don't want to say out loud, but we privately believe. And yeah. you said a really interesting image, Craig. Um, he was sort of using Bill Gothard's umbrella of authority, wasn't yes. he? Or yes, he did a, he was. Or he did a revision of it. Yeah, so that was yeah. So he's very much uh, into the um, the patriarchy, and that that uh, men and women have separate roles, and uh, that men are the breadwinners, and women are uh, meant to be in the in the kitchen and at home. And uh, and had he's even sort of gone down the quiverful path where he wants to make contraception illegal, and so that uh, Christians have as many babies as possible. But how so many the babies? Thirty years time. We're all going to vote. <laughs> Who knows? Um, I, 
it just seems like even the conservative Christians I know, the people who really, you know, you look at and go, they are so far out of it. They don't really espouse views this ridiculous. I mean, it, that really does lend to the idea that he's just trying to get himself seen and known for being controversial because the most conservative Christians generally aren't that conservative. Nobody in the church is asking for contraception to be illegal and sex before marriage to be illegal. This is not mm. a thing. It no, makes me yeah, it makes me wonder whether he has some sort of mental health issues in that he's seeing the world very much in a black and white view that everything that's in the Bible is absolutely has to be taken literally. If only we had a psychologist on the podcast to advise us. But as it is, we we're, we're not going to know if he has mental health issues or not. He might just be a horrible person. That's another another possibility. Mm, certainly is. So sticking with Christian fundamentalists, yeah. uh, Robin, you're going to tell us about uh, Nancy Campbell, who is the founder of Above Rubies, not something yeah, I've heard of yeah, until I read your article. A New Zealander who many people don't know is a New Zealander, and here she's gone off, make probably probably the running the biggest patriarchal Christian dominionist ministry, you know, at least for the Western world. Um, if you haven't had a chance to read the article, um, Nancy Campbell is the daughter of one of New Zealand's world champion shearers, um, Ivan Bowen. Hey. Like, <laughs> do you know him, Craig? No, but I'm a shearer too. Oh, uh, hardy har har. <laughs> um, but you know, oh, like she sometimes she'll when she talk writes talks about New Zealand on her podcast. It sounds like oh, you know, nice bucolic childhood. But when your father's a world champion shearer who has traveled to Tokyo and has met the Queen and Prince Philip, you know, that's not a normal life. Um, now, but, but as far as we know, she keeps those details to herself. Um, from aside from the bits and pieces that she publishes in her newsletter and in her and talks about in her podcast and writes about in the magazine, um, you don't really get a sense of who she is. You know about her religious views; they are about stock standard for a lot of fundamentalist Christian women should stay at the home, gay marriage is awful. Um, you know, stay with your man, even if he cheats, cheats on you, have lots of kids, you know, very much the grandmother, the quiverful movement. Um, but, you know, she would never, ever write about how anything that she experienced that was negative. She's always the one giving encouragement to everyone else. So when you go through her magazines and the podcast, you know, it's all these bits and pieces of stories written by other women who are making themselves vulnerable and revealing very personal and intimate details about themselves. And that's quite an interesting power dynamic to have with your, um, with your readership. Mm. Um, so Bronwyn, you, you, um, you were browsing today, were you? Cause you sent me a couple of pictures of articles that you'd found that were brilliant. I absolutely love them. Yeah. Yeah. No, um, I went to the Alexander Turnbull library in Wellington because they actually have a collection of, Every um, Above Ruby's magazine written from the very first issue in 1977 through to about, well, not the most recent, but as far as 2018. So I was trying to figure out if she ever wrote about why they moved to Australia in 1981, 1982, and then why did they go to Tennessee after that? Um, I think the best that we can pick out is that they went to Australia in the 80s because they were planting a new church. 
I don't know what church that was or whether it was successful. Um, and then they were going to go, then they went to Tennessee with their two youngest daughters, Serene and Pearl, because they were going to do a ministry on Christian parenting. And the daughters were going to be doing some singing for them while they did that, as well as try to establish above rubies. Um, but I think probably the American, there was probably a big American market for them there, um, particularly with the homeschooling, you know, and a bigger homeschooling um, industry and particularly that's, a Christian homeschooling industry across the um, Southern United States. Yep. That's why Ray Comfort and Ken Ham are in the US, a bigger market. Yep. Um, but what else was, what else did I come across? Um, you know, yeah, in the eighties, I think they probably made quite a bit of money because both Nancy and her husband, Colin were um, sponsoring tours of Christian holy places. So they were doing the international tour circuit circuit as well. And you get a good um, commission off of those tours if you do them mm. every year. So the, the articles you sent me, the first one was about humanism and the evils of humanism, the idea of being logical and evidence-based and secular, you know, just being a false bill of goods and it's a lie and actually there's a cult and demonic mm -hmm. stuff involved. Um, and it was, like, of course, it's not your brand of Christianity. You're going to look down on any other worldview. And yeah, apparently it's very dogmatic and tells you how to live, which which sounds a lot like what she does. Um, and the other one, the other one was about it was a story from a, an ex-lesbian who became straight. She became and, a total uh, woman. Is what a she total became. woman. That's how she signed off, wasn't it? Rather than their real name. But. As I said to you at the time, having read it, it just seemed like a really, really good advert for being a lesbian. It made lesbianism sound like an amazing thing to do. Shall I read an excerpt of this article called What Are Your Convictions on Gay Liberation? Do it. Under the subtitle of Despair and Loneliness. After that first encounter, I experienced many relationships, women of different nationalities and walks of life, professionals and dropouts. Like any other habit or bondage, Homosexuality has side effects. It's bad trips. All deviant or perverse attitudes to life are destructive. And I have personally known people who, in despair, have taken their own lives. Eventually, I buried myself overseas to become completely involved in the gay way of life. Gay balls, coffee bars, nightclubs and pubs, along with it, drink, drugs, the occult, violence, jealousy and desperate loneliness. Sounds awesome. I want it but I'm not a woman, so it's out of reach for me. Yeah. I don't know about the desperate loneliness, though, but that doesn't, that doesn't sound that great. But It's probably only occasional, and if it's interspersed with lots of really good sex, I mean, who cares if you're lonely once in a while? Well, this is what she says. Often in despair, I would walk the city streets in the early hours of the morning, so getting her exercise, um, <laughs> and I was seldom at a loss for company. My <laughs> oh. relationships hardly had any satisfaction. <laughs> And then she, you know, at the bottom of the article is this big black print of, um, you know, all the different Bible quotes. And of course, the Bible says get, being gay is wrong, you know, and shellfish and it's mixing forbidden. meat and cheese. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, like, I mean, you know, what she writes about is, you know, she's the person who will bring the Bible verses and the proverbs. She's the one who brings the knowledge of the Bible and how the Bible is just absolutely reinforcing that you stay home, you take care of your kids, you submit to your husband. So it's not, if you, if you are sort of interested in evangelical Pentecostal fundamentalist Christian culture, um, it's not going to be new to you. It's not surprising. It's rather old hat, but nonetheless, um, she has made profit off of it. Now, of course, the magazine is operated in a really interesting way. It's a non-subscription magazine um, and people send donations. 
but they only print when they get enough money to um, print off maybe, I guess it's now 100,000 to 130,000 copies. And presumably she owns the printing company. I'm not quite sure anymore. I think she, uh, looking a little bit further, I think she does actually send it off to a printer, but she owns, you know, the copyrights and everything. Um, Mm. And what's really interesting is that the magazine grew really quickly from 1970. When they first published in 1977, they did about 1500 copies. And then by 1979, they had about 11 issues in, which was great. Great air quotes here. Um, And they were doing 100,000. So that's a big, that's a big growth. Wow. Yeah. But that seems to have, um, you know, stayed very stable in the 30, 40 years. You know, they may go up about 20, 30,000 and then go back down. So I think we we really should have known this earlier. We could have announced from the skeptics that we weren't canceling the journal because of the the effort and what we thought was a lack of return on it. But we weren't going to print until we could get enough money for at least 100,000 copies. And we should have done it that way. And we're still waiting. We're like two years into canceling our journal. We, we I don't think we've had a dollar yet. I mean, come on, guys, give us money and we can print 100,000 copies and send them to most families in New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, you can bulk buy some copies for a quote unquote donation and yeah, distribute right. them in uh, key locations um, around New Zealand, such as uh, the lobby of Destiny Church. <laughs> oh, that would be fun. That would be really fun. Like so, reverse leafleting. Yeah. So the history of the Campbells, what they were doing in New Zealand pretty vague, sounds very innocuous. You know, they had Sunday dinner, dinners with their church. I think Colin, the husband, was involved with the Christian Center. And the only records I've been able to find outside of Above Rubies is an image off of the Manawatu Heritage website. And apparently the Christian Center was operated out of the square. So that would have a counseling session, counseling center, Friday night coffee shops, and maybe even some medical services. They move to Tennessee. They become sort of popular within, you know, some of the right circles. We have an article written by Ray Comfort in one of their earlier magazines. Oh, that's where that was. I thought you'd found that separately, but that was in Above Rubies. Ray well, Comfort. No, no, not the. Con- oh, say. So for people who don't know, I was texting Mark all of my discoveries today when I was at Alexander Turnbull Library. There's an article I sent. I found by Ray Comfort in an Above Rubies magazine that I sent to you. But I also found a comic that Ray Comfort. It was based on Ray Comfort's work called All My Friends Are Dying, um, which has guest appearances by the Mongrel Mob and Black Power. So the one <laughs> there's a, there's a little comic strips, you know, where he's asking, "How do drugs get into prison?" And they're saying that they inject the drugs into an orange. <laughs> and that's the image that came from his comic book. An LSD on the back of a postage stamp, which, which just seems silly to me because, you know, the person that's sending, they're going to lick the stamp and get high straight away. <laughs> uh, but where I think the Campbells really sort of came to, if not necessarily public consciousness, but certainly got a little bit more attention, um, came in the sort of... Mid-2000s, 2010s, um, Nancy Campbell was quite big in inspiring a lot of homeschooling Christian families to adopt children from Liberia. Um, now, Liberia is an African country that just came out of that came out at that time of a massive civil war. And she ended up adopting four children and her youngest daughter, Serene, adopted six. Those children were treated all very horrendously. I definitely recommend that you read Catherine Joyce's book called Child Catchers. But amongst the abuse, um, you know, you had kids who were being hit. 
Um, one baby was being smacked until it um, peed itself because it preferred the sister that it was adopted with rather than the adopted mother, Serene. Yeah. Very horrible abuse that these kids underwent. Um, mm. And, you know, after all these years, you know, and other families who followed who followed the Campbells and adopting children also had disrupted or failed adoptions. Um, There's kids who got killed um, by their adopted parents. And of course, because a lot of these organizations that do sort of these Christian fundamentalist adoptions, a lot of them actually aren't licensed. So they go in, they start, you know, sending all these children out of the country. And now that we have a little better understanding about what it is, what that means for adoptees and the long-term effects of that, that's actually not quite great. It's not quite great for the local economy or for local communities either. Um, but it meant that Liberia could not follow where these kids are. Um, some of these companies just sort of, and uh, orphanages sort of collapsed overnight. So if the kids got sent home, which was actually kind of an illegal thing to do, but something that the Campbells did. What, just um, send them back time. again if you don't want them? Well, one, yeah, one kid, well, one kid, it was a pretty complicated case, but I think he could have done a lot better with better supports. But yeah, Serene Campbell sent back this kid to Liberia with 40 bucks in his pocket. Um, and when they arrived in Liberia, the orphanage had closed. So they just left the kid with a pastor. Jeez. Yeah. So they got a lot of criticism. Um, there's lots of articles in the Mother Jones magazine, which is a really good magazine to read. And of course, C Catherine Joyce's book really does critique um, what happened. But, you know, looking back at that book, I remember when it first came out and I read it then and I was kind of interested into, oh, what's happening with these kids now? And surprise, surprise, it seems to there have been some sort of reconciliation. But of course, I think a couple of the youngest kids, youngest of the adoptees are still living at home. And the older, the older adoptees, you know, if you want to keep in contact with your younger siblings, what do you do? You know, do you keep your distance or um, mm -hmm. do you bite your tongue? And there are, there have been experts who are people who are involved in the case who do sort of liken it and say, you know, it's kind of like battered wife syndrome. You know, if you have a connection, you want to keep the connection in some way. Yeah. Yeah. So it's real, real sad. Pretty awful stuff. Yeah. And, you know, that now that now that Nancy's kids have all grown, you know, the, her biological kids, they're all sort of they're in their 40s, 50s and 60s now. Um, they're actually quite prominent. Um, Wes Campbell, her oldest son, is actually the manager or the owner, again, air quotes, of uh, Newsboys. The Newsboys mm. were a massive, well, very popular for their genre of um, contemporary <laughs> Christian rock music. Um and they were featured like, on like rock music, but only only worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, worse. And um, they're also, if you think Newsboys, um, they are featured on a series of Christian movies called God's Not Dead. <laughs> um, here, horrible, horrible series of films starring Kevin Sorbo. <laughs> they are awful movies. I have watched them, and they are painful from beginning to end. With the whole got ya atheist. Nonsense yeah. and courtroom idiocy. I think Legal Eagle does a good takedown of one of them, basically one that's based in a courtroom where it's like none of this is real, none of this is accurate. This is all flipping ridiculous. Yeah. So yeah. So there's the first movie is about this university student who's philosopher. You know, he has a debate with his philosophy teacher about you know is God dead. The second one stars Melissa Joan Hart, who is you know people may be surprised. Uh, Clarissa explains it all is actually a Republican. She stars as a teacher who um, ends up in court and, you know, there's a lawyer played by Ray Weiss who has to prove, you know, in, in 
in a court that God is actually dead, which I so guess the first, prove, you the, need to prove that God actually lived. So the first one, just just to spoil it a little bit, doesn't the uh, the athe- atheist professor get run over by a car and convert while he's dying on the side of the road? Well, when when is when yeah. uh, when else would you convert? <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> live a hedonistic life and convert at the very last moment. That sounds perfect. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah. So our son, you know, actually two of our sons are involved with the Newsboys band. And the reason why Newsboys are involved in God's Not Dead is because the Newsboys have an album and a single called God's Not Dead. Cashing in. And then Serene, the woman who adopted six kids from Liberia that she couldn't handle. um, Not only did her and her sister Pearl have a short-lived musical career. Did any of you listen to the music video? Listen to the song? No, I didn't dare. Is it? Is it as good as it looks? I have to admit, it's not bad. And I hate myself for it. (laughs) (laughs) Because Serena's, you know, what Serena did to those kids is so terrible. Um, But no, um, Cup is actually something of a banger. Okay. You'll have okay. to listen to it. And I promise I'm making my vow right now to the listeners of the podcast and readers of the newsletter. You will be cursed with a list of top songs from various cults and sects by the end of the year. Are we going to be releasing a skeptical album of these? <laughs> well, I mean, we got to find a way to do it that doesn't uh, put royalties back into their pockets. We'll, we'll just do covers. We'll do a cover oh, Yes. We we can sing the covers. Brilliant. Greg, I think you're musical. You're going to be doing the whole lot. Bronwyn, sure, you're on the right. triangle. I'm going to be on the tambourine. Craig's doing everything else. I think the closest <laughs> I'm ever going to sound like is Wylana. That's the closest. We'll get Brandon on the act as well. Oh, good point. Yeah. Good point. Oh, God. So terrible vocals and, and great soundtrack. Great backing. <laughs> yeah. But but going back, um, they now have a... Um, they published a series of cookbooks and now sell supplements related to their brand, which is Fit Healthy Mama. And it's a really confusing diet. Um, You know, you're sort of cycling your high fats and your high carbs, but you can't eat your high fats and your high carbs on the same day. You have to, you know, you have to have at least three hours between every meal. A lot of their foods, you know, no sugar, but you have the, you know, lots of artificial sugar supplements like your Zolotol or things like that. And, you know, I'm just wondering, you know, how how far they how far away are they from having like an MLM? Because I look at those products, you know, it's a little bit some skin products and food products. It's just so mixy, not so uh, not so matchy enough that I'm like, yeah, this has real MLM vibes. But so far, they haven't mm. gone down that route. But you know, they get they are very very popular with other um, Christian or an evangelical Christian groups, such as I said, the Duggars in my in my article. Um, Jessa Duggar is really into it, and. FYI, I warn you, don't go onto the Fit Healthy or Fit Trim Mama Mama website because it will haunt your Facebook. The algorithm will follow you. It will show up in oh, really? every ad. Oh, jeez. Uh, okay, I'm doing it now. Every time, every, <laughs> every time I open my Facebook, it's like the second. It's like the second post, and I'm like, I hate myself. Why? Hang on, Trim Healthy Mama. Yeah, Trim Healthy Mama. Here I go. You're not the demographic, though, Mark. (laughs) 
Facebook that's, probably that's doesn't very, care. That's like very gender binary there, uh, Craig. <laughs> yeah, I'm fat. What, what's your problem? I need to be on a diet. Why is it not for me? What are, I think your feed's probably toast already, Mark. There must be so much rubbish in it. <laughs> it is. It is a, a real mess. And it's only getting worse now, actually. Just a, just a queerly, really quick bit that um, I have mentioned in a newsletter a couple of weeks ago about a special mm-hmm. investigation that Daniel and I are in the middle of. It's just not ending. It keeps going. And Daniel, do we have a fellowship meeting tonight? I'm not sure we do, do we? No, no, it's not tonight. It's um, Monday, Wednesday and Friday (sighs) where we spend an hour and a half. It's quite a commitment. It is. But that means means not for you tonight, actually, because I I have committed to help out in the off days with a different session. So I think I'm on tonight. But... Because oh. they're worried they're asking me to do too much, I've promised that while I'm in the session tonight, I will also be reading their holy words from their app at the same time. So I'm going to be multitasking for an hour and a half because I've got three books that I apparently need to read and some videos I need to watch and a full length movie that they've recommended to me. And I need to witness to my wife to save her before the world ends. And it just keeps going. Honestly, I, you, if they, any spoilers, if they, uh, sorry. Any spoilers? Can you tell us when the world is going to end? Yeah. Um, soon. soon. All, they're, all they're telling us is soon. soon. Um, but yeah, but our if I gave them yeah. 16 hours a day of my life, they would take it. Um, yeah. They are very needy. Okay. But like here, this is the second question. If they're saying, you know, have they ever had any false or any incorrect predictions for the end of the world? No, I don't. I, I think possibly they've learned from other groups like the Jehovah's Witnesses and they haven't put a date to it from what I understand. I, I haven't seen any dates. It's just soon. And yeah, we don't want to mention who they are yet because um, Daniel and I in different ways are both still in this group. And I'm I'm picking up more information as I go. And some of it is pretty, I guess, not shocking. You kind of expect this from a group like that, but still to be able to get this information and have it written out. Uh, in front of you is like, oh, oh, I wasn't expecting like within two weeks to be told all of this. So mm. it's it, it's going well. Um, it is a big investment, but I think it's going to be worth it. And we will reveal all in the newsletter and on the podcast, hopefully in a couple of weeks. Plenty to It's very exciting when you finally get to blow the lid off it. Yeah, it will be. It will be nice to be finished. But at the same time, of course, I'm starting to get attached to the people that I'm talking to. And they are nice people. They're just totally misguided and evil at the same time. Um, mm-hmm. But I kind of I kind of like them. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's going to be hard to leave now, I think, being honest. I think it's my I don't have a a get out strategy. Um, I'll I'll figure it out as I go along. Are you going to fake your own death? <laughs> It might, it might have to be anything less than that. I don't want to break their heart. So yeah, it <laughs> might be that, or I, I don't know. I move to the moon or something. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sorry anyway. to, to meet them all in person. <laughs> yeah. Apparently they've checked and there isn't a group in Wellington I can attend, but um, they are keen to get a group up and going in Wellington. No, oh, you can start one, Mark. Yes. No, that that would be crossing that ethical boundary that I will not be walking over to the other side of. Right. We need to talk about p-hacking. Trina, you uh, wrote a contribution to the newsletter this week and talked all about p-hacking. Can you fill us in on, yeah. uh, on what p-hacking is? 
Yeah, so um, p-hacking, it's sometimes called data snooping, data dredging, but I think most people would probably relate to the term cherry-picking. And this is a form of data analysis that's actually used by scientists so to misrepresent things as significant when it's significant, when there's no actual underlying um, effect there. Um, and so I guess this sometimes results in some of those scientific reports we get that are not um, very robust or when you start to dig down into them, but they get quoted by people for all sorts of things that aren't very helpful. You know, sometimes you get these results, you might get a really nice headline out of it, such as COVID vaccines cause harm and that kind of thing. And then it gets a bit of a life of its own. Um, there's also one case which I'll talk about where the researcher deliberately p-hacked and publicly declared that it was a hoax and people still believed it. So, um, <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter what you do. And it sort of reminded me of those people that said, you know, they they actually did the crop circles and people were still saying, oh, no, you're, you're faking, you're faking of it. And so mm-hmm. it was really aliens that were landing in the field, pushing all the corn down. But basically, in a nutshell, um, p-hacking is when you've got a reasonably large data set and you just slice and dice it in a zillion different ways and see what pops out of it until one of your analysis is shows something, anything. And I guess, you know, what what we call statistically significant is called a p-value, hence p-hacking of lower than 0.05. So there's only a 5% chance that it's occurred by chance. But if you're doing this a lot and you're slicing dicing the data a lot of different ways, then there's actually a pretty high chance you're going to find something weird in there anyway and Mm. so it's not necessarily going to be any kind of causative effect it's just you've managed to find some weird data there happens to be a lump of some particular aspect in there so katrina you you shared a really nice um xkcd comic about this which is the jelly beans is it causing cancer yeah yeah and so they just basically just Redid the study over and over again, different kinds of jelly beans until they had some weird data against green jelly beans. So the conclusion, they just published that one thing, not mentioning all the other, you know, jelly beans that resulted in absolutely no effects. Um, and of course, if it's a 5% chance and you do it 20 times, then you've got an, that 50% chance or whatever, you've got an average chance of of getting one false positive. And I I remembered actually just a few minutes ago, um, one of the studies that I remember used this quite a few years ago. It's probably a story most of you have heard and um, maybe do or don't know how it was debunked, but the idea that electricity pylons cause leukemia, and it was found that in children, leukemia rates went up around electricity pylons. Um, and apparently the study that did this This is just from memory. People can look it up and make sure. But from what I read, the study actually looked at 600 different diseases. And of all those 600, the few that had the highest value were the ones that they reported. And the rest of them, they neglected to mention that they even checked for those diseases among people that lived close to electricity pylons. And so, of course, when you do that, when you throw out all the negatives, 
and you've got positives that are in line with what you expect by chance, totally unethical to then go and say, hey, look, this is a positive result. Our p-value is looking great because it's it's just cheating. Hmm. Yeah. And, and I've got a really good example that's, that is about the COVID vaccinations. And so there was an article by a person called Asim Malhotra, and he made um, some claims about the benefits and risks of vaccination and basically pointing to the fact that it, they could cause harm. And that was based mainly on a study by Freeman and others, um, and that was in the Journal of Vaccine. And they looked at you know, some data, but what they found was they were actually cherry-picking the adverse events so the problem with that is you just change the results completely. It's just not the way to go about science, basically. Um, mm. So they were excluding um, things that, yeah, basically just cherry-picked the data and um, eliminated bias by not looking at the adverse effects that would be expected more in the control group, so in the vaccinated group. So that meant that if there was an adverse event in the vaccinated group, it was going to be much more prominent than if you counted the things that were also happening in the control group. So I guess, long story short, you'll see it probably all over the place and the people that are claiming um, COVID vaccines are harmful and it's being said by people that are being published and that are scientists. I also experienced it myself in terms of I was, I wouldn't pee hacking, but I was having a look at um, gender pay data and, you know, the overall sort of figure, looked at that and then realised, oh, maybe something's going on in each pay band. Um, and so you're making a lot of decisions um, when you're trying to do an analysis and trying to cut things up in different ways. Um, so you could eliminate outliers, but um, in our case, the outliers were highly paid males. Um, so obviously, if you eliminate them from your gender pay gap analysis, that could, and don't disclose it, you can say, oh, look, there's no effect. That wouldn't be very honest. Mm. Um you sometimes have some pay groups that might not have enough females or males in them to do the comparison. So do you just not look at those groups or do you roll them up into a bigger group? And what effect does that have? Um, do you chop out like the call centre, which is mainly female, and how does that skew all of your data? Um and um, what about the people in the higher bands? There's not enough there. You don't have you know, 30 people in a pay band, do you ignore them and cut them out of your data or do you roll them all together and what mm. effect is that going to have? So I guess when I was looking at that, it sort of just reminded me of the p-hacking and the fact you can get yourself in quite a tangle even when you're trying not to about how you um, chop up that data. Mm. Um, and and it's sort of a... A micro example I had there was one particular, we were looking at um, the ANSCO codes, which is the Australian New Zealand standard job families, and there were jobs coded into these. and um, But there were two separate jobs with the same code, and one of them was female-dominated, that was mainly administrative, and one was male-dominated, that was mainly outward-facing, yet they looked like the same job code. And it's possible that the pay differences there were more to do with the job or the size of the job or the um, market that was operating rather than we've got males and females in the same job being paid um, mm. 
different rates. So, yes, very deep. (laughs) So it it all really just comes back to experimental design, doesn't it? And the the basics of the doing a good scientific experiment is that you have a hypothesis and you design an experiment to prove that hypothesis. And if you're if you're doing p-hacking, that means you've already collected the data and then you're sort of sifting through the data in order to try and find how can I categorize this data so that I actually get um, an effect when uh, my original experience, experiment didn't actually show any effect. Yeah. From what I've heard, one of the ways that is used by scientists, and I think a lot of this is innocent, right? It's it's not that they're trying to p-hack. It's just that they, you know, they put a lot of hours into a study and they don't want all that effort to go to waste. So the idea of using different statistical analyses, and if your first one doesn't work, maybe a different method of analyzing the data will show the result that your first analysis didn't show. And of course, before you know it, you've used a dozen different analyses and the 12th one finally gives you your positive result and you feel justified. You feel like, ha this is finally showing what I thought was there all along. And what you don't realize is that you've done it so many times that you are just a victim of this random chance and it's a false positive. Mm. And at that point, then what you have to do is design a new experiment to actually prove what, you, <laughs> what this analysis <laughs> came out with is actually true which is what obviously doesn't get done a lot of the time. Yeah, and that's one of the techniques that's been suggested for stopping this, and there are some journals doing this um, and people designing platforms to do this is actually getting researchers to lodge their hypothesis, you know, which is Mm. their theory of... um, Right, so the pre-registration of studies. Yeah, and their methods, so you can't suddenly change your analysis. So you can try other methods, but... When people are assessing that, they will know what your pre-declared method was for your analysis um, mm. then and, I, and making that available. Um, one of the other techniques is actually making the raw data available, which makes people a lot more accountable for what they are doing. So for more for more reading on this, one of the efforts that I've just checked the website, I think it started 10 years ago or so, and unfortunately it's not got to the point of being useful, but all trials at alltrials.net. Um, that's that's an effort that's being done by the skeptics in the UK in order to set up a system where you have to pre-register everything, as you say. That um, you know, and if if you register a trial, you have to publish it. You can't just then say, "Oh, actually, I didn't like the results. I'm not going to publish." That you you register, you publish, everything is totally transparent. And I'd love to see that get off the ground. But if after ten years it hasn't, despite it says they've got 95,000 signatories to a petition. I'd be surprised if this is going to happen anytime soon. Mm. Yeah, there's a whole lot of publishing bias, which has really incentivized people to find results and not publish those, you know, mm. 600 characteristics that went absolutely nowhere and just just the one that's got the results. So, um, yeah. And, yep, it's, uh, publish or perish. Yeah, yeah. So they this the hoax study, um, it was so bizarre, like basically convinced people and supported the claim that eating a chocolate bar every day would cause them to lose weight. So that's how stupid it was. <laughs> and um Are you sure? Yep, and it got picked up by media and um it was published by the Institute of Diet and Health. Um and and the data showed the data that was published showed that eating a chocolate bar a day causes you to lose weight. Um, and obviously that 
that was just well, that's the only thing you eat a day <laughs> yeah well um that wasn't the case in the study but it was complete hoax and um and it, it just got that far because hey science you know mm. um so i guess what there have been study to determine how common this is so there is actually a way of picking it up and this is because um, your data slightly above the line and slightly below the line should be relatively even. Um, if you're p-hacking, everything will just show slightly below the line and be just statistically significant. And so um, there have been sort of meta-analysis done to kind of go and, and they found that it looks like p-hacking is actually probably pretty common, but it's probably not affecting the scientific consensus coming from meta-analysis that's looking at large amounts of studies. But I guess the problem is you've still got these issues with this one study, you know, this one annoying study mm. that and, vaccine yeah, and deniers what... always publishing, this one study on chocolate, the lovely headline that goes with it, and that can publicly, if not scientifically, do quite a lot of um, damage mm. in its wake. So I guess, you know, it, it's not totally benign and it seems to be quite widespread. So um, there does need, there do need to be some checks, just like, you know, essays now, people can get a AI to write them and how do you check whether, you know, someone's submission is their own work or not um, with these scientific studies, it sort of seems that there needs to be, um, you know, those checks and balances are going to become more and more important because it's people can analyse a whole lot of data and slice and dice it so many different ways much, much quicker than used to be possible. And so I think as that technology improves, the checks on that technology need to um, go alongside that. Um, so hopefully platforms like that will get off the ground, but I know there are some journals now that won't publish, um, not the big ones, but some of them won't publish unless you've made your submissions first around what you're studying and how you're going to find it. Um, so that's really encouraging because that would enable us to go back and look and check and see whether there's a real true basis for the findings that they've made. Yeah, One thing yeah. I had wanted to talk about was actually the first example that um, Katrina had in her paper, which is about Brian Wansink. Um, he certainly got exposed and he self-exposed himself, which is a big thing of admitting that he had done a bit of p-hacking. Um, it's what's called the pizza papers. They had this null, null result experiment over a all-you-can-eat buffet. Some participants paid eight bucks. Some people paid, paid half price. And afterwards, they fill out a questionnaire. He got nothing. And he writes this blog post about how this really entrepreneurial or hardworking Turkish student came in and got him four to five papers. You know, so it was called P-hacking on steroids. Now, Brian Wansink has had, probably had a lot more influence on how we eat, certainly in a North American context than anyone can, um, you know, anyone's aware of. Um, I don't think you had it in New Zealand, but, you know, I certainly recall growing up being a girl about those 100 calorie snack packs. And that was sort of being pushed as, um, you know, yes, you can still have your Oreos, but they're just 100, you know, just this 100 calorie portion. So he does a lot of writing about portion sizes, 
Um, he came up with the idea of small plates, didn't he, in order to lose weight? Yeah, and and he did. He got an Ig Nobel Prize in two thousand seven regarding a bottomless bowl. So rather than actually your body telling you I'm full, if you have a bowl that's constantly filling up with uh, soup, you're just going to eat more soup. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's a lot of really interesting, you know, food behavior stuff. And, you know, it's been quite influential. Um, I know when I was doing the Noom diet a couple of years ago, some of his, some of those similar findings came through as, oh, think about using a smaller plate. Think about using this as ways to mm. control your eating and your portion control. Um, so I think particularly maybe a lot of your female, a lot of our female listeners in particular, you know, but anyone who's just had weight problems will, you know, his work will, you know, come through. But getting to the point, p-hacking was just a small bit of his crimes. Once people actually started pulling apart his work, they found that not only p-hack, it wasn't just p-hacking. He had impossible figures. He had result, you know, improper ANOVA results. He also um, was replicating data across multiple set across multiple um, papers, which is something I've talked about a few um, newsletter articles ago. So he's done a lot of really bad academic wow. writing. So, uh, and I think that's the thing, like this, like all the suggestions that Katrina has mentioned about, you know, things that we, you know, that could help stop p-hacking, that stuff that all is still very much applies to anything else in terms of academic writing and um, scientific fraud. Um, so I guess, I guess these measures are more likely to protect against accidental p-hacking or opportunistic p-hacking, but someone that really wants to commit fraud is going to commit fraud. Mm. And, and sometimes like particularly when it comes to replicating tables and replicating like, you know, those, um, you know, when I, when I was talking about, you know, the images and how you can look at images of bacteria and how someone crops them or frames them can make it look like different sp- samples. You need really good eyes. You need to be very detail oriented. So there's a lot of stuff that, you know, as I said, Katrina's, you know, the things, the solutions Katrina mentions absolutely applies across the board, but there are going to be some things where you still need people who are going through this with a fine tooth comb. Um, and speaking about cropping and framing, um, a part of this issue is something known as the Simpsons paradox for anybody that's heard of that. And that's the idea that when you have a plot of a whole bunch of data, that there's a tendency when you zoom into certain areas for it to look like there's a trend in a certain direction. But when you zoom out and look at the trend over the entire data set, it turns out the trend is in the opposite direction. You've got to be really careful that you're not accidentally or deliberately um, true your data in those areas where you end up with these artificially wrong trends. Hmm. So just um, a recommendation. I have listened to the the Maintenance Phase podcast and they have an episode about um, Brian uh, Wansink. Yes, Wansink. Entitled School Lunches P-Hacking and the Original Pizzagate, which is uh, very, very good. We'll put that in the show yeah. Yeah. And uh, just quickly, one of the other ways to fix this or at least help fix it is the triple blind study, which for anybody that's not heard is the idea that you're not only blinding the people that are being tested and the people that are doing testing, but you blind the people who are doing the statistical analysis. So they only get to see that this is data set A and B. They don't get to know what was the real intervention and what was placebo, et cetera. So you try and make sure that blinding goes as late as possible in the entire process. Mm. Very good. Right. We need to move on. Uh, So apparently there is the therapeutic products bill that's still open for submission until 
March the 5th. I know that uh, we as a committee have been spending quite a bit of time putting together our own comprehensive submission that talks all about the dangers of natural health products and uh, how they should be regulated. But I understand that uh, there are some other people who have been writing submissions about natural health products. So can you fill us in on those, Daniel? Yeah, yeah. Um, So I've been looking at over all the submissions that people have submitted, and there's about, at the moment, 9,500 submissions. I've checked around about 260 of them. Only about 2 to 3% of the submissions are positive towards the bill, uh, most being uh, about a paragraph or a couple of lines. There's uh, some really short ones like no to the bill or please don't do that. It's ridiculous um, <laughs> with spelling mistakes. Most submissions uh, are complaining about freedom with mm. you with um words of all, all caps uh there's yeah there's just a huge amount of misinformation scaremongering in the submissions um one common uh misconception is that supplements are protective preventative they fight sickness or disease and always safe and therefore should have no regulation which is ah, just a silly idea yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and so, so why do you think there are so many submissions that are uh, in this vein um I'm guessing some big names in the in the nat- um, natural health area uh, has been calling their fans to make submissions because a lot of the, a lot of submissions are clearly copy and paste. And Voices yeah, for Freedom as well have uh, been mailing all their members, which are a lot of people have signed up to their newsletter, and uh, they've been asking people to put in submissions, which is why I think there's a lot of these very short, bad quality submissions that. Yeah. From what I can tell, you know, reading them, most of them didn't even bother to read and understand the bill and what it's trying to do. Yeah, a lot of submissions. Yeah, submissions that clearly haven't read. They just followed a template. Yeah, yeah, and and we would hope that the uh, the politicians who are on the select committee who are considering this uh, don't. Uh, count the, the absolute number of uh, submissions in any one direction as being necessarily uh, indicative of uh, of what they should do. Um, hope, no, hopefully, but just in case quality, just in case they do, everybody listening to this podcast, just put in a, a one sentence submission. That's all we need, but make it positive. <laughs> just say yes to the we bill. love the bill, but more regulation of NHPs, please. And that, that'll that'll be fine. That's all we need. But if you do want to do more, this week's newsletter that went out on Monday morning, yesterday morning, uh, we did basically explain or I explained just briefly how you can go on to the bill and search for the word or the um, the initialism not acronym, NHP. So you search for NHP and you'll find everywhere. We also pointed out maybe 10 or so of the key clauses that we figured might be an issue. Um, You can go and have a read of those, make up your own mind. We really don't want people to just be making a copy of ours, but we've tried to do as much as we can to help people. So just have a look at our newsletter from the weekend, have a read of those clauses, um, but also have have a read of Dan's great uh, summary of a lot of these crazy submissions. And if you want to just argue against some of those as well, it might be worth doing. There's, there's definitely plenty. They said it's unfair that it may force some businesses to close due to costs. Well, if there are, if there are natural health businesses that require to make up claims or lack safety testing, maybe they should be shut down. 
Um, <laughs> it's like saying that you favorite? run a shop murdering people, but if you make murdering illegal, they're not going to be able to make money anymore murdering people. I, I, I'm curious, Daniel, what was your what's your favorite? And I mean, you know, what's the one that makes you cry the most on the inside when you read it? Oh, there's so many. It is the best one, Daniel. Choose one. Oh, there, well, there's yeah. There's some that just all caps and just go in, into rants and go go into different topics that have nothing to do with the bill. And uh, for example, um, went into fluoridation and calling that a poison. And um, <laughs> why aren't the government doing this and that instead of this bill? It's yeah. Any of them get into election fraud? <laughs> <laughs> all right, Dan. The one you mentioned the other night, which I love, is the one that ends up saying, how is regulating oats going to make my breakfast any healthier or more cost effective than it already is? It's, it's weird. It's, yeah, some people think the government's going to come after their food in their gardens. It's, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, there's others like, again, copy paste, saying more than 50% of New Zealanders use supplements, which I had a look and that seems to be the case. There's a few studies backing that up. But if you're deficient in a vitamin or a mineral, you should see a doctor um, not self-diagnose hmm. yourself. And um, so I just see so many people wasting buying products like multi- multivitamins and, and this calls for more regulation and not less as they, um, yeah, as they suggest. It's almost like people have listened to some propaganda and been uh, whipped up <laughs> in an irrational fear of these things. And, and on top of that, um, about 50% of people don't talk to their doctor um, if they're using supplements and there, and there are pl- plenty that have um, drug interactions, and, and a lot of people don't realise this. Mm-hmm. There was one you pulled up, Dan, where the person was worried she'd be put in jail for talking to people. Um, <laughs> I think she was worried. I think it's to do with the advertising rules or something, but she, she thought by talking to people she'd be put in jail, but yeah, talking about yeah. these vitamins or something. And um, <laughs> yes, doesn't seem very likely, does it? Well, no. if she made some outrageous claims about them, maybe she should be in jail. There's an interesting one that I like here. There are no clear definitions of what constitutes a natural health practitioner or traditional medicine and traditional practice. And in brackets, it says Western herbalism, um, Ranga Maori, TCM, Ayurveda, and other traditional medical medicine systems should all be included in that. But the question is, will they be? End of bracket. Uh, wrong. There, there is a definition of what an NHP practitioner is, and it's anyone that sells a natural health product is considered in the bill to be a natural health product practitioner. But isn't there something about traditional medicines as well? I think this may be a bit more specific about the traditional medicine. Well, if she's complaining about the definition of natural health product practitioner, the definition is there in the bill, somewhere around maybe section 67, I think. And then here's the second part before you, before, since you interrupted me, here's the second part of that statement. Oh. Or are there any assurances that qualified members of the natural health community will be on the advisory panels as they should be <laughs> if this goes ahead? Qualified members, right. <laughs> An oxymoron? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I mean, yes, yeah, I, guess, like I, doctors, guess, I guess we're going to be debating between the doTERRA, being a doTERRA rep and having your qualification <laughs> through doTERRA versus, say, your qualification through Young Living. Right. <laughs> I have a degree from the University of doTERRA selling multi-level marketing vitamins that are overpriced. I mean, we know some people who have um, a university degree from the University of the Seven Rays. So, I mean, you know, is that is that a qualification <laughs> that they're going to approve of? Yeah, I, I wonder if. I wonder if uh, New Zealand skeptics could come out with some skeptic pills 
skipped pills that uh, we could uh, charge people for and uh, have a like a, a supplement to make you more skeptical. Well, like the red pool or the blue pool. Oh, no, let's not go down that track. <laughs> yeah, let's not. But hang on, hang on. I do have in my collection of weird stuff a tub of placebo pills. Right. Okay. Well, we well I am ready to go. They're, they're just mints in reality. They're quite nice, but uh, I love the tin. Very good. Okay. Well, so we really strongly <laughs> encourage everybody who's listening to this podcast to go to the Parliament website and put in a submission. I have personally put in a submission, and um, I'm hoping everybody else will as well. So if you do put in a submission, apparently you can come come along to a skeptical community event and claim a free beer. I would like to know who's funding this, but... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I did always promise been funded. that, didn't <laughs> I? Um, so actually, Craig, we're all, we're all good for funding. It turns out that we go to sceptical activism in the pub so much, um, and I have basically one of those loyalty cards that gets us back a certain percentage of everything we spend. We've got enough money that even if a dozen people come to the pub to claim their free beer, we're still in the black at the end of this. So um and a lot of this actually is not even funded by us but it's also funded by my friday lunchtime work drinks where my department goes to the same pub and i just tell them to put everybody's points on my tab so uh yeah we're all good to go if anybody has managed to fill in a submission and you're wellington based come to a skeptical activism meeting on a thursday at the fork and brewer and as craig says you get a free beer it's got to mm-hmm. be worth putting a submission in for that Indeed, indeed. So speaking of uh, sceptical events, what's coming up? Well, um, the most recent one is going to be coming up this Friday. um, And that's what? uh, February the 24th. Um, It's the usual Wellington Skeptics in the pub that starts at 6 p.m. at the lobby lounge inside the Intercontinental Hotel on Two Gray Street. Do not go to Two Gray Street Restaurant. We will mock you severely when you show up late going, where was everybody? We were where we were supposed to be. We won't We won't mock you. I won't mock you. Bronwyn might mock you. I'm not going to mock you. Please come and talk with me and ignore her. <laughs> That's usually a good a good action on the best of, <laughs> on, on a, any other Friday. <laughs> Absolutely good idea. Um, and then the next week, which would be Thursday, March the 2nd, is going to be the activism in the pub. And that's going to be from 6 p.m. at the Fork and Brewer in Wellington as well. I know I call it a different name every week, Mark, but you always it's, look so... so. so yeah, I can't remember the name now. You've called it so many things. When people ask me, I can't even remember what, what we called it. What does it. Robin call this group this, um, this week? Surprise. And then next Friday, we will have, which will be March the 3rd, will be um, Skeptics in Cyberspace. That also starts at 6 p.m. So we will be putting the link out sometime in the next couple of days for you to sign up. And, and then, I have I have two more events. Sorry, do you have one? Go, Bromley. Uh, yep. Just, um, just on behalf of Dunedin Skeptics in the pub, they'll have another meetup on March 9th at 6 p.m. at Umbrellos. So if you want more details and to RSVP for that, um, go to their meetup page, which will be in the show notes below. Awesome. And we have two special events on March the 18th. The first one is Daniel's birthday party. So anybody that would like to go to that is more than welcome. Is that right, Daniel? Yes, yes. But numbers might be limited. 
<laughs> and the other one, and the reason I sadly can't make Daniel's dinner for his birthday is that there will be a special Palmerston North skeptics in the pub on March the 18th, probably starting, I don't know, five o'clock. We'll start a little bit early. So this is the Saturday, March the 18th. Palmerston North. And the reason we're meeting is because that's the day that I finally booked in to go and get my colonic irrigation. And after the colonic, we're going to go to the pub and everybody can laugh at me and my discomfort. Okay. You're not going to do the colonic irrigation in the pub, are you? No, I I don't think the nurse would do that. I don't think the machine is mobile. Um, I think it's quite large. But would we call her a nurse? I mean, she did have legit nurse training. And she wrote the certificate I've got, the, or the little voucher I've got that my kind friend Aaron bought for me for this. She does write her name and then RN afterwards, registered nurse, right? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yes. Is she, she, is she a registered nurse? Have we, we have, we've looked at the council website. Yeah, she is. She is registered at the moment, I believe. But yeah, so I don't know. I've never had a colonic before. I don't know whether I'm going to be turning up in an adult nappy or whether I'm going to be okay with that one. Do you leak after you've had a colonic? I don't know. I don't know. It's it's a lot of water, right? But I suppose the the anal sphincter is quite strong. It's probably going to be all right. There is some wow. small there is some small risk of medical misadventure in doing this, isn't there? There is, which is why I'm taking a registered midwife with me. To <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, I mean, is she know, going to be scope, present? I mean, granted, while holding confirming. people's hands while they go through the most painful moment in their life is part of my scope of practice. Um, I think that was meant, intended for labor and and not you know stupidity. But I will be the person who will uh, have no no you know no scruples in a calling nine one one and b reporting you to the nursing council. Awesome! Oh, that would be a win win then if I get medical help and she gets struck off. That that sounds perfect. So yes, as well as a midwife, just in case, I think I might also be taking a historian and a um, a data analysis expert. So Tim and Alexander hopefully are going to come along as well. Although I wouldn't be surprised if Alexander wussed out. <laughs> I think Alexander's already uh, said no. Um, we just haven't uh, we just haven't told Tim that he's coming along yet. <laughs> And uh, for anybody else that is interested in coming along to my colonic, seriously, you are more than welcome. Just contact me before the 18th. It's going to be a bit of a fun event, I'm hoping. And you are probably not welcome to be in the room with me, but you're welcome to be in the waiting room and hear my squeals of pain or delight, one or the other. I don't know. But you're also excluding the salt room, Mark. Yeah. So we were, well, I was hoping to go to the salt room. It turns out it's not cheap. It's a lot more expensive than I thought. So we might not be doing the salt room. Maybe we'll go and visit the gift shop of the salt room and try and sneak in through the back entrance. Oh, no, 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 no. That's, <laughs> Isn't that's that a bad choice of words. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, I think we should end the, uh, the podcast. Oh, oh and, no. and of course, we've got Auckland Skeptics in the pub in Auckland at the Dice and Pork on the 7th of March. But anyway, Mark, you were going to awesome. say? Craig. I have, I have two things for you. I have an admission and I have a request for help. My admission is that because my car broke a couple of weeks ago, I am now driving a mostly electric car. So I have a series hybrid, uh, a, a Nissan Note e-power that's very nice to drive. Very good. And that's... That's my admission. Having having taken the piss out of you for having an electric car, I now have one. My request is, do you have any recommendations on the wanky number plate that I should get for my car? <laughs> I'll have to ponder on that. 
Now, it's yeah, only no, a hybrid, I, so I know I'm not fully yes. a member of the team. I totally accept this. A half EV or something? Uh, like the battery will run for two minutes, um, but it's very efficient. It's about twice as efficient as a petrol, normal petrol vehicle. Well, It's got the regenerative ba- braking and, and all this kind yeah. of stuff. So it's kind of like a Prius, I guess. It's like a Prius, but it only ever uses the electric. The Prius uses the electric to drive the wheels, and then when it needs to, it uses the mechanical to drive the wheels. My car only uses the engine to power the battery, and then the only thing that drives the wheels is electric motors. Right. Okay. So you've got a you've got a petrol engine that's basically charging the battery to. Yeah. It's to it, oh. it, it's like I've got a petrol generator in the back seat just sitting there to charge the battery constantly. But right. it's kind of nice because it always runs at, it's got, I think, two efficient speeds where it runs at high efficiency and it only needs to run at those two speeds. It's not revving up and down and being inefficient mm. because all it's doing right. is generating electricity. Mm. Well, at least you're putting less CO2 out into the uh, into the atmosphere. I am. Yes. Well done. I can't say bye to CO2, can I? <laughs> no, but uh, you're saying less. So that's always good. And Yeah. And it drives like an electric, which is really nice. I put my foot down, and I think this is the first car I've ever owned where it just moves. Like, I get to zoom and be a boy racer in my late 40s. Excellent. Do you want to have a race sometime, Mac? No, because I would lose, thoroughly lose, I'm sure. (laughs) Indeed. All right. You have been listening to the Year Now podcast. If you'd like to give us some feedback, you can email us. Uh, to news at skeptics.nz or better yet come and turn up at one of our many meetups around the country and give us your thoughts in person we will see you all next time bye bye see ya bye